Everybody doing good? The answer to that is yes, you are, whether you feel like it or not. And that's, I guess that's part of what I want to speak about. Let me just look at you guys. I want to see a smile. How many's here for the first time? I know y'all did that, but I'm just curious. Okay, we got one visitor. Welcome. I'll try to make sure that you're not here for the last time. <laughs> um, I am really tired, and um, I'll explain why in a minute. But I want to I think I want to talk to you about the C clamps of life. Now, I know there's a number of you that know what a C clamp is. How many don't know what a C clamp is? Okay, a C clamp for is a construction tool. It's a metal clamp that is tightened to hold something in place while you work on it. So you might need a board to you might need to cut a board, so you might clamp that board to a table so that you can so it can't move. Or you might need to sharpen something and so you clamp it down so that when you're sanding it or whatever you're doing to it, it can't escape. All right. I think God um, has created many things in our lives to be C-clamps, to where we get trapped and we can't get out of the difficulties that we're in because he sent them. And I'm thankful for that. But it took me almost 50 years to get there. But I am very thankful for the trials and the tribulations that I go through. Now, you know, Jesus said that in John chapter 1, he talked about those that received him, he gave them the right to become sons of God. Think about that. To everyone who received Jesus, he gave them the right to become the sons of God. He didn't say that everyone received him became a son of God. He said everyone that received him was given the right to become a son of God. Do y'all hear that? Just because you accept Jesus as your Savior does not mean that you're automatically a son. And let me define what I mean by the word son. Um, I remember being in Nashville with a group of youth, and there was one particular kid that was in our group that I knew his mother, but I had never met his father because he had, he had died before they had moved to, to where we lived and had become a part of our church in Charlotte. And we took a youth group to uh, Nashville to do some, it was kind of a ministry week. And during the service, I'm looking at this kid and the Lord starts talking to me, using this kid's life. And he was like, I started wondering what his dad would have looked like. It's a weird thought because, I mean, I, I would, while I was thinking about, but it was kind of weird for me to be thinking about this kid's dad, and it was like the Lord just, just thundered inside of me. You can, know, you can know what his dad looked like by looking at him. Now, I know in some cases that's not true, but 
there is something in the Lord's heart. You know, when, when God came in Genesis 1 and he said, let us make man in our own image, you know, he's still doing that. That's still his goal, is to make man into his image. And God wants us to look like the sun, and he wants people to be able to look at us and see him. Jesus said, even as I was sent, so I send you. When Jesus was talking with the disciples, he said he came to reveal the Father. And, he, and when Thomas said, Lord, show us the Father, Remember in John, when he's talking to Thomas, he says, show us the Father. Thomas says to Jesus, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And he says, Thomas, how long have you been with me? Do you not know that if you have seen me, you have seen my Father? Jesus was a perfect representative of the Father. And even as Jesus was sent to reveal the Father, Christ wants to be, and the Father wants to be revealed through us to the world, but the only way that can happen is for us to be transformed into his image. And I'm going to say that many people don't want to go through what it takes to look like Jesus. Most Christians don't want to go through what it takes to look like Jesus because the Lord's heart is for all of us to look like him. But that's, I want to talk to you how that happens and, and talk to you about the way we can deal with our lives in a way that guarantees that the Father's getting what he wants by having Christ formed in us, okay? Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, how many are tracking with me a little bit? All right. God's still making people in his own image and he has his heart's desire in acts 14 um we'll turn over there y'all should always be able to get there faster than me because i have this uh what is it the heritage yeah the heritage is it the heritage bible i love this bible founder's bible thank you I'm so tired, I can't even, I don't, God's going to have to take over. <laughs> but I love this Bible, but it's got so much commentary that it takes a while to get to where you're going. Uh, commentary is awesome, though. All right, so in Acts 14, um, when you get to about, well, when you look into Acts 14, Paul's going around preaching the gospel in different places, and he gets to one place, and he does a miracle. He calls, he sees a guy has faith to be healed. He calls him forward. He gets healed. The guy leaps up, couldn't walk, and all of a sudden he can walk. And all these Romans who believe in uh, the Roman gods, um, and they're thinking that they're them. And they're wanting to sacrifice to Paul. And, and he's there, you know, they're trying to restrain these, these Romans from sacrificing to them, thinking they're deity. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Turn away from these false deities. You know, God is, is there's only one God and his son, Jesus Christ. And, and, um, and then the Jews come and basically they stirred up the crowd. And so they, he went from being worshipped to being stoned to death. 
in a matter of who knows how long, 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour, who knows. But it was within one day's work. He goes from people wanting to worship him to people wanting to kill him. How's that for a turnaround? How's your day going? So Paul's beaten with stones. If you know anything about stoning, it was the common way to be killed in that time. And uh, it was specifically for the Jews. And they would take rocks and they would just beat you with them, sling them at you until you've been beat to death with stones. Once again, how's your day going? (laughs) Paul had a rough day. He got stoned. And uh, he gets up, let's see here, in verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. He was stoned so bad that they couldn't even tell he was alive anymore. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, and they had, and after they had preached the gospel in that city, I mean, this is amazing. This guy just got beat. He gets up. He enters the city. The next day, he leaves with his partner to go to a new city to preach the gospel. And had, and so they had preached the gospel to the, to that city and had many disciples. So they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraged them to continue in the faith. So they're encouraging the disciples. They're about to leave. You know, when you're leaving somebody, you want to give them good stuff. He's encouraging these people. He encouraged them to continue in the faith, the faith of the Lord Je- in the, the faith in the Lord Jesus, and saying, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that was the general encouragement to the church. Through many trials and tribulations and difficulty, pain and suffering, we enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many love what I'm preaching right now? (laughs) Man, why did I come to church today? Um, You know, numerous times when the disciples followed Jesus... He he would put them in a boat. And how many stories do we have in the Gospels of being in the boat with Jesus and all of a sudden they're in a storm? You know what I mean? When you follow Jesus, he will lead you into storms. One of my favorite ones is, and y'all have heard me say this a thousand times, but the one where Jesus tells his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side, and he goes up onto a mountain and pray. Y'all know, if you've been here long, you've heard me preach this multiple times. And from one angle, but the amazing thing was is that Jesus, I believe, knew there was a storm coming. And he sent them anyway into the storm. Now, how many know, and if you're older, you know this. If you're young, sometimes you really don't know this quite yet. But how many know that when you live a little bit, you encounter many storms in your life, right? And the question is, who's in your boat with you when you're in the storm? When the disciples had Jesus in their boat, they always came through the other side. And because they had Jesus in their boat, the one time he sends them without him, 
they struggled with all their might, and they didn't think they were going to make it. And then Jesus comes and gets in their boat, and they're immediately at the other side. And I've preached this, how God is, um, uses the struggles of our life to, for multiple things, but one of the things that he, he allows the struggles of our life to do is to make us realize that in our own strength, because the scripture says they were rowing with all their might and could not reach their destination, that sometimes when we're rowing in the storms of life with all our might, it shows us that we won't make it to where God wants us to go in our own strength. You cannot get to even where God wants you to be without God. And the whole intent of spiritual maturity is to learn dependency on God in everything. The greatest maturity you can ever have is when you're 100% dependent on him for everything. Unless you become like a child, you shall not enter the kingdom. Children, if nothing else, are dependent. We're supposed to be dependent. Just because you're living for Jesus does not mean you're not going to go through storms. You're going to go through them. The question is, how do you handle the storm you're going through? Because I can tell you from, from experience and from the Word of God that how you handle the storm will determine whether the storm sends you into a higher place or it destroys you or messes you up really bad. And that's all based on how you handle it, what you do in the storm. And so I want to tell you guys today how to overcome, how to allow your storms to draw you closer, how to allow your storms to elevate you. You know, eagles, bald eagles, one of the things about bald eagles is that they actually fly into a storm. And they fly at an angle to where when they hit the storm, the st with the angle that they're, they're entering the storm, it, you know, it catapults them up into a higher place. They use the storm to catapult them. And I want to use the storms that God puts in my life to catapult me into the place that he wants me to be anyway. And that's really the intent of the storm to begin with. You know, one of the things that um, we have got to do as believers is, there's a couple, there's a lot of things, honestly. A few things that I'm going to talk about today is learning how to worship in the storm. And I think this is key. I, one thing that you notice about the early disciples is that when they would like, in Acts, uh, I believe it was Acts 5, where they had just, the, the, the apostles had just been whipped, scourged for Jesus' sake, and, and they come back having been beat, rejoicing. They were rejoicing for the difficulty they just went through, that they could go through that for Jesus' sake. There was a different mindset in the early disciples because they saw the Lord crucified. They saw him suffer. And he gave them an example that we would follow his example in suffering. And they constantly rejoiced. But here's why we rejoice. And that's what I want to talk to you about. You know what worship does? Why does God want us to worship him? I mean, it's right that we do. I mean, he's the creator. 
He created everything. We, every breath that we breathe is from him. He deserves to have people to worship him, right? But, but is that really the intent of it? I mean, hey, come here and just worship me. Well, I, I mean, I think there's probably true to a degree, but I think the Lord knows that in our worship, it actually sets us free from our self-focus and our selfishness. The one thing about humans is that we're born selfish. And we, if you know in Genesis, the fall, when they ate the tree, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they ate the fruit, the first thing that happened to them was they turned inward and for the first time in Adam and Eve's existence, when they ate the fruit that God told them not to eat, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they turned inward and they noticed them, their own nakedness. And that was the, when they saw their own nakedness, they fled from the Lord and fear entered in. I mean, if everybody was naked in here, there would be a lot of fear going on. <laughs> right? Okay, worship sets us free from selfishness. When, when we ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we became, humanity became so self-consumed. Everything's about us. We even see our suffering through this selfish perspective, like how dare. You know how people get mad when they go through things that are tough? It's, it's like our natural reaction to anything that we don't like is anger. Like, I'm, you know, somebody goes through something horrible and they got to be angry at somebody. Where does that come from? You know, it's like it's the fallen nature, but it comes from us being so self-consumed. It's like people being angry at God because their life didn't go perfect. Why are you angry at God because you're, you're not getting what you want in life? I mean, why is it there's something so inside of you that to the depth of who you are that sees things through the lens of you deserve to have your world the way you want it like you deserve happiness I mean don't you know I mean we all kind of think like that naturally I deserve happiness so when things don't go my way I'm uh I get angry and I get angry at God a lot of times or I might get angry at somebody else Are, do y'all hear me yeah. I know this isn't necessarily a great fun topic but I'm going somewhere with this but I have to lay this out where God wants to deliver us from living life through the lens of a selfish perspective and the best way to do that is to teach us to begin to focus ourselves on the one who's worthy of it all. And when I shift, when, when difficulty comes or when anything comes, even when good things come, and I give praise to God, thank you, Lord, for the goodness of the Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you died for, my, for me. You, Lord, you became a man and you died on the cross for me. Your blood was shed for me and I began to reshift my focus and my attention on him I'm being delivered from self-awareness which is the fruit of the knowledge of the it's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil worship delivers you and you can worship you can worship by dancing you can worship by singing but at the root of all worship is none of that the root of it 
is your heart being focused on him and his goodness. And we express that through music. We express that through singing. We express that through dancing. We express that with words. But it's really the attitude of the heart where it's coming from. And how you express it may look differently. But it's imperative that we learn how to express it from the Lord to the Lord because that's where we're set free. And um, I was, uh, I've been in Charlotte oh, since Thursday. My dad has been having a lot of complications. He's going to be 80 next year. And uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's had a lot of complications. He was, uh, you know, he was in the hospital. My sibling, my brother stayed with him for the first couple of days. And as soon as I was able to finish up work, uh, I had some work stuff I had to get done. And then I went up to relieve my brother and I stayed with my dad uh, in the hospital. And, you know, he's having a difficult time um, because, you know, he's, he's older and he's got a lot of things breaking down. You know, you start getting older, you realize that the body, you know, it perishes. And dealing with that um, is difficult, you know, going to the hospital constantly. I mean, he's been to the hospital, I don't know how many times this year, more than his, he's ever been through. And it's difficult. And you got people prodding on you. I mean, you, you know, there's like people, and my brother-in-law said this, and it was pretty funny, but it's true. People waking you up to give you a sleeping pill. <laughs> I mean, that didn't happen, but it does happen, you know? It's like they'll wake you up in the middle of the night. I had, this is a funny story. Second night there, I'm really tired at this point. You know, second night, I've had a very physical week. I get there. I'm with my dad. I'm helping him. My dad can't see, so I'm his hands and his feet. And he, I, there's a lot of, you know, there's some work involved helping him with things, and I'm happy to do it. What an honor for me to be able to be with my dad and help him in that way. But... But by the time, you know, you sleep on a couch in the hospital and you're tired, you don't sleep good. And then and then, the, you know, the second night, um, I'll just say this first. You can tell the nurses and the people working there that it's their calling and the people that are there to get a paycheck. And I'm not dogging anybody for doing a job to get a paycheck, but I'm just saying in a situation like that, it is really nice to have people that have that mercy gift and that calling to what they're doing and you can feel it but second night into it all of a sudden I'm, I'm waking up just went to sleep and I'm waking up and I'm groggy and I'm like oh gosh the lights are all on in the room and I'm kind of trying to you know how you are you're trying to open your eyes and, and the guy's like you know, the, guys, the, the, the guy came in, he's got to take my father's readings or whatever, and it's like 1230 now, and he turned on all the lights. Yeah. Now, the night before, the people that came in, they kept these low lights on, and they were real respectful of people sleeping, and they were trying to be just, you know, real um, non-disturbing. You know, I don't know word you, undisturbing, hospitable, yeah. And this guy comes in, he, he turns on the, all the lights, he's talking loud, and I sit up and think, he's like, oh, man, you don't have to get up. I'm like, really? Uh, I didn't say a word because I didn't know what I would say if I did. <laughs> but it was interesting. So it's funny. But so 
we're in the hospital. There's minor, minor stuff, suffering going on. There's nothing, I mean, nothing really. But, you know, we don't, we like being comfortable and we like our sleep and we like not being in pain. You know, my dad was in pain. Um, and we were, the next morning, we were sitting there and we began to talk. And I was like, you know, and I, was, I wasn't telling my dad anything he didn't know. He already knew, know this. I just was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, it's like, Dad, I know that when I'm in pain, I try to use that. Because I know, and I've, y'all have heard me say this, when we get to heaven and we're worshiping the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with, in glory, you know, every tear's been wiped away and we're walking in streets of gold and there's no more pain and suffering and the glory of the Father is, is just in us and around us and we're in perfect perfection. Worshiping God's easy. It, and when we're in that place in eternity, we will never, ever, ever touch him there the way we can touch him here while we're seeing through a glass darkly and the Lord's harder to see and we're going through such difficulties and pains and suffering and the devil screaming accusations at God and we stop and we lift up our hands and say, I love you, Papa. Thank you for your goodness. I worship you. I praise you. I thank you for who you are. That touches God in a way you can never touch him when you get there. And my dad's, he's he doesn't have long to live probably i mean even if he lives another 10 years that's not a long time and he's eight, he's almost 80 and he's at that point to where you never know when you go at, at that age you never know so what if this is your last opportunity i don't think it is but what if it is your last opportunity to touch the father while you're suffering and so we started, we just, we both of us just, I mean, just started worshiping God in the hospital. And the presence of the Lord just blew into the room. And it really, it, 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 he inhabits the praises of his people. And in that place of suffering where you're worshiping and you're praising and the enemy meant for all that stuff to happen to cause you to be grumpy and to complain and be bitter, but you turned it into an opportunity to please the Father in a way that you can never do in heaven and you worship him in your pain. Oh my goodness, that brings such joy to the Papa. And it touches his heart because we're doing it in a fallen place in the opposite of perfection. Adam sinned in a, perfe- a perfect garden. Jesus obeyed in difficulty through the cross, through suffering. And the scripture says um, we learn obedience through the things that we suffer. When we suffer, but we do it, we're obeying the Lord in what we're suffering. We're learning obedience in that process. We don't obey naturally. We don't worship naturally. We learn it through the things that we suffer. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's fasting is. So I think that's one of the way God uses fasting in people's lives. I know he uses it in my life that way. I don't like fasting. I hate it. I mean, I despise it. Like, 
I would cuss it out if I thought I could get away with it. That's how bad I despise fasting. It is the most miserable thing in all of it. I mean, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And I advise you to never do it unless the Father tells you to do it. But you know, you don't learn to obey the Father when he says, hey son, I want you to go down there and order a double milkshake and enjoy it. Yes, sir. I'm learning obedience by the things that I'm enjoying. No, that's easy. That's not hard. <laughs> You're not, that's not. It's when the Lord says, hey, I want you to go fast for three days or two days or one day or whatever. Skip this meal. And your body's saying, uh-uh, I don't want to do this. But you choose to obey the Father rather than the flesh. You're learning obedience through the things that you suffer. The Lord tells you to, I want you to go here and share this word with somebody. I don't want to, Lord. I, I'm uncomfortable. But you obey anyway, and you go step out, and you share something with somebody. You don't feel like it because you're scared. And you overcome your fear because you want to please the Father more than you do want to obey fear. You're learning obedience through the things that you suffer. Does that make sense? We can use our suffering. It's the greatest gift that probably that we're given. One of them, besides the Holy Spirit. Because we, the, Paul said in his message to the early church was it was through many trials and tribulations that you enter the kingdom. In other words, if the goal is to look like Jesus and we want to enter into his kingdom by looking like his son, then that means your difficult thing, whatever it is that you're going through right now, is a doorway that will take you into the kingdom. It will take you into greater Christ-likeness if you respond the right way. And the first way you have to respond to enter that door is through worship. Thank you, Father. I know that nothing is coming upon me that you're not with me in it. And if you're with me here in this circumstance that I find myself, then there's a purpose. And so, Lord, I worship you and I thank you for whatever you're doing because I know your love for me is greater than I can comprehend. So whatever you're doing through these circumstances, have your way, Lord. I love you and I bless you. Have your way. Let your desire be worked out in me. And, Lord, help me to see what I need to learn here so I can embrace it. And we begin to see God in our circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. There's things that go on in our life that ain't worth rejoicing over, you feel like, right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a message for the mature. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I could hear this message very well when I was young in the Lord. I wasn't ready for it. And that's okay. If this, if this is a difficult message for you and you're not ready to embrace this, it's okay. God gives us time to grow up. He didn't expect a two-year-old to be a 16-year-old. You know, It's okay to poop in your pants when you're a year old. If you're pooping in your pants when you're 16, well, we got a problem. All right? But this is a message for the mature. For those of you that want to grow up in the Christ-likeness, first thing you need to do is realize that there's nothing that's coming upon you in your life 
that no storm, no circumstance that God's not with you in it. So turn to him and find out why it's there and what's its purpose. You know, every storm that the disciples were in, they, they saw something about Jesus that they didn't see beforehand. You know, when Jesus was asleep on the boat and the, the storm had come up and they thought they were about to die because the storm was so bad. And Jesus is asleep. I just want you to know that sometimes it feels like Jesus is asleep in our circumstance, in our storm. We're like, where are you, God? Don't you see me going through this pain and suffering? Where are you? He loves you more than you can ever imagine. He loves you so much. And He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus was with them. He was just sleeping. Now, in reality, God's not asleep in our storms, but sometimes He is quiet because there's a purpose in the storm that is for us to see Him in a way that we've never seen Him before. And sometimes the purpose in the storm is to see us in a way that we've never seen before. But in this particular case, Jesus, they wake Jesus up. Lord, we're perishing. And the Lord's like, where's your faith? And he stands up. He rebukes the storm. And all of a sudden, there's perfect peace comes. And they were in awe. And they worshipped him and said, surely this is the Son of God. In the storm, they saw Jesus in a light that they didn't see before the storm. And when we're in the storms of life, if we turn to him, we will see him in a way that we didn't see prior to the storm. Hindsight, I am thankful, so thankful for every difficult thing I have ever went through. Because in it, it produced something in me that I didn't have prior to the difficulty. Doesn't mean I like pain, I don't. But I love what is produced inside of me when I come through the other side of difficulty and pain, okay? And the most valuable things that I carry in my heart and life are the things that I gained through going through trials and tribulations when I turned to the Lord. And I wouldn't have those things deposited in me if I did not respond properly in the middle of the storm by saying, Lord, I know you're with me. I know you're doing your work. Have your way. And I worship. Because what we do try to do sometimes is we're sitting there, God's got us in his frying pan, and he's frying some bacon. <laughs> and we're like, this hurts really bad. I'm getting out of this difficulty. And we try to jump out, and we jump out into the fire. See, the sea clamp, <laughs> back to the sea clamp, it's the way the Lord sometimes has to pin us in so that we can't run because he knows our first, uh, our, our, what's the word I was going to say? The first, um, yeah, inclination would be to jump out of the difficulty because pain hurts. But I'm telling you, learning the secret to just sit and suffer in silence. <laughs>
<laughs> just suffer. Because on the backside of it, Jesus promised us that everyone who dies with him will also be resurrected with him. And there is no difficulty, no cross that you're carrying that on the backside of this thing, you're going to have a resurrection and it's going to be far more glorious than you could ever imagine. And Paul came to the end of his life and he was like, it's all done. Nothing compares to Christ that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. What? what? You're, 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 you, you want to know his sufferings? How do you know him if you don't know what he went through? The best way to know somebody is to know what they go through. I, 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 I've told this before. It's kind of funny. How are we doing on time? Uh, okay, I got a little bit. Um, I was at the Lord. I'm terrified of heights, like, like panic attack type fear of heights, okay? I've always been that way. Roller coasters scared, them, scared me to death. I was scared to death of roller coasters growing up. Um, I was so scared that, you know, it wasn't until Lindsay that a girl actually talked me into going on one because it didn't matter who I liked. When I was a kid, it was like, I ain't getting on a roller coaster with no woman, no girl. <laughs> it's like I'd go with my friends as a teenager to the, to the park, and I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't riding that. I don't care what you think. I don't care. You can call me chicken. You can say whatever you want to say. I ain't getting on that. I don't even care. Because that fear had such a grip on me that it was the loudest voice in my life. And, um, but as I began to walk with the Lord more closely, the Lord started putting his fingers on my fears, and he wanted me to face them and overcome them. And he started telling me to start, start stepping out and riding rides that you don't want to ride. And there was one particular ride at Carowinds. It's like, I think it's the highest ride in the park. I don't know that that's true, but it's called the drop zone. And if you've been there, you get into the seat, and you have like, did you ride it, Brandon, when you went? Oh, it was closed, man. You, you lucked out. Uh, he was going to ride it with Alexa. Um, but it, you get in these, I think, five or six seats, and, and then it's four, has four faces on it so that you, you know, you're, you're riding. It takes you all the way up. And you can see, depending on what angle you're at, you're either looking at South Carolina or you're looking at downtown Charlotte, you can see a long ways away because it ain't like this one down at Carolina Beach. This is like up there. You're at like at the top of the park, the highest ride, I believe. I know it was at one point. And you hear this little click. And you think, and it gives you a little drop, like just like, a, like half an inch. Just enough to just test you if you got, you know, what's in your drawers. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, it lets you go. And it just drops. And you're in free fall. Your stomach goes up in your chest. Okay. So I had ridden this one time. And it, it, it scared me so bad, I was never getting on this ride again. Um, and the Lord starts talking to me about overcoming my fear and that he wanted me to ride this. And I would never do this, but the Lord's telling me to do it. And I'm like, why would God tell me to do this? I'm terrified. He told me to do it. And, it's, and I'm like, Holy. and I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm pacing. I have this war going on inside of me because I don't want to do this. But it was amazing because I'm getting closer to the line and there's this voice screaming out inside of me because I was so afraid. Like I'm talking about like panic attack, run for your life fear, but yet the Lord told me to do this. 
Like, why would God do that? Does he really want you to suffer through this? And but as I'm obeying the Lord in the pain, I'm stepping closer and we're getting closer. And the closer you get in the line, the greater your heart's beating, the more you're like, you're starting to freak out. I am. I, I'm starting to freak out because I'm terrified of these things. And I'm getting closer to closer and closer. And everything inside of me is screaming to run. And the only thing that has me there is a desire. I want to obey the Father. And I'm struggling because I'm on the verge of, I'm, I'm wrestling inside of me. Obey God, don't obey God. Obey God, don't obey God. And then as I'm getting close and right before I get on this ride, before it's our turn, I'm sitting there and I'm at my worst anticipation and I still have room to, to run. And I get a download from the Lord. And it was Gethsemane. And I saw him in Gethsemane wanting to run. But he loved the Father and he wouldn't run. And he was about to go through something that I can't comprehend. And this little measly, stupid little thing is nothing to be compared with him. But yet I knew at that moment the Lord was giving me a taste of the sufferings of Christ. And, and though this, they don't compare. I'm not trying to compare it to what the Lord was going through, but yet he used this thing in my life to let me realize that there was something where I was willing to walk in obedience in something when everything inside of me is screaming no, and I was so terrified to go, and I'm wanting to run, and I'm trying to obey the Father, and then it hits me, and I realize this was what the Lord did in Gethsemane right before he went to the cross. And it gave me an appreciation for him that I could have never had had I not said yes to it. I didn't get the revelation until I was about to get on the ride. And I wouldn't have had it. I understood it in a way that I never could have understood it had I not been willing to step in that. He allowed me to taste, just a little taste, of his sufferings. And I knew something about him I didn't know before experientially you know what i mean it wasn't just a theology it was experiential and when you walk with the lord he will allow you to go through things so that you see what he went through so don't waste your trials having the right perspective through your circumstances is the key to turning your trials into a launch pad it's the thing that causes us to be like him. And I know a lot of y'all. And I know you're going through things. And God loves you and he cares about what you're going through. But don't ever believe the lie that God has abandoned you in your circumstance. But instead, use it to worship him in the middle of it. And you'll find what me and my dad found in the room the other day. When we began to worship, a peace came. When we began to worship, the anxiety left. When we began to worship, the presence of God came that made that heaven for a moment. While we were worshiping, that hospital became heaven. While we were saying, Lord, thank you for your goodness in the midst of what we hate and what sucks to us and what we don't like, 
even in this moment, we know that you are good and you are with us and you can use even this stuff to help us grow in you and to be like you. And we're going to rejoice and worship you in the midst of our trials, knowing that we can't touch you in eternity the way we can touch you right now when we're going through things that we don't like and we turn it into worship. And it transformed the whole experience from hell to heaven like that when his presence came and his presence came when we began to praise when we began to worship it he inhabits the praises of his people when we praise him especially in your difficulties he comes and it's the most meaningful and i always try to do that and i ask for grace and lord i'm asking now give me the grace to worship you when i suffer the most when I'm going through whatever I'm going through, help me worship you. Help me worship you. I'm going to close with this. If you want to turn over to Acts chapter 16. And this is just a good illustration of the way this works. Acts 16, um, verse 16, we're going to start. In Acts 16, it says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer. Everybody say, going to the place of prayer. That's where he was heading. Paul was heading to a place where they could get, a, get still and worship. He was going for a right, the good, a right place. He was looking for a comfortable place for where he could sit back and relax and worship the Father in a, in a cool atmosphere. He was heading to the place of prayer. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I dig that. I enjoy my back porch three quarters of the year. I enjoy my office that other quarter of the year. I enjoy having a couch to sit on and, and, and the AC on in the summer and just being able to worship the Lord and spend time reading and praying and seeking the Lord. I love my places of prayer, right? Well, Paul was going to a place of prayer, and a slave girl having a spirit of divination met them. It says he met us, who was bringing her master much profit by her fortune-telling. That, that divination there is the, is the same word that we get python from. It's a constrictor spirit. That python spirit is a constrictor spirit. Um... Paul's trying to go find a place that's comfortable to worship and to pray and someone that the enemy had bound. He, the enemy was using this girl because she was bound up by the devil and she came out to confront them. And she was following after Paul and us and she kept crying out saying, the men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> I think that's funny. And turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So this girl gets set free. But when her master saw that her hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. 
And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, to, they said, these men who are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrate tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay. They're trying to go to a place of freedom, uh, you know, where they're free. They're walking. There's nobody controlling them. They have, they're free to go. They're going to the place of prayer, right? Paul confronts a demon that is a constrictor spirit. It constricts freedom. And when he confronts it and casts it out of the girl, I believe that that spirit came out as an all-out assault on those people. And then they found themselves more constricted than they had been. They found themselves constricted literally in chains and thrown into an inner prison. Prisons aren't like our prisons. Our prisons are not fun, but these prisons aren't like that. Mold, stinky, no light, no place to go to the bathroom except for in your cell. It stunk. I mean, have you ever been anywhere where people have been, uh, you know, human feces is just laying around? It, it ain't a fun place. It is horrible. And then you get suffering and darkness and, and just stench and no airflow. They're in a bad place. It's not good. What do they do? They're constricted. But about midnight, they've just been beat with rods. They're bleeding. They're bruised. They're hurting. They're in pain. They're suffered for Christ's name. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. <laughs> wow. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Sometimes circumstances have constricted us. We've been attacked by the enemy. The fastest way for your chains to fall off is for you to learn to worship the Lord in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Worship. It is his will to give thanks in all things. Rejoice. Worship him in the middle of your suffering. Worship him in your struggling. It released something. It, I, think, I think the earthquake was the Lord couldn't take it anymore. When he, his heart just busted open when he saw his kids go through that and they turned around and started worshiping him, he couldn't take it anymore. And an earthquake came, and it set them all free. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul crawled out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights. They could have ran. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said to said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of night and washed their wounds. And immediately he, talking about the jailer, was baptized, he and all his household. Not only did their response to their difficulty cause them to be set free from their difficulty, but it resulted, their proper response in their difficulty resulted to salvation to those who were around them. And I want to suggest to us, we're going to go through things. We're going to go through storms. We're going to go through trials, tribulations, difficulties. But if you will do it the right way, not only will it get you out of the test quicker, but it will affect those around you in a way that we can't even understand in this life. I one time had a dream in the dream, it was like I was in, I wasn't in a foreign country, but it was like I was in the sense that I was experiencing the kind of persecution that believers do in other parts of the world. I was being chained up, and, and this guy that was my, like, guard or whatever, he, was, he would beat me and hit me and poke me and do things, and, but I had a knowing that as he was doing that, and I was responding like Jesus. I was giving a testimony to this guy that was amazing. And that it brings testimony to God, to the lost. How many times, if you've read Fox's Book of Martyrs or you've done studies of, of people that have suffered, how many people gave their lives to the Lord when Christians faced death and suffering with boldness and courage? Roman guards who were about to kill the people that they were commanded to execute decide to get in line with them so that they could die with them because they see their courage and their boldness. There's a testimony there that's just amazing. Now, you can't do that in your own strength. It's only the grace of God that's working in us to do that. So don't take a heavy yoke on you. But, and I don't want to end on a heavy yoke. I want to end on this. There's people here that are going through some stuff. Where did uh, Miriam and Vic? I want to take five minutes and let's just worship the Lord. Let's worship Him. Let's give Him praise like he was, He's worthy of it. Let's, let's, whatever you're going through, turn it in to worship. Praise His name. And let's just take a few minutes and give him the glory that he deserves.